love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Haley Jura, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alyssa Gadeski. Alyssa, did you know that we are recording this on the longest day of the year in the Northern Hemisphere? Most daylight hours. The most daylight hours we're going to get all year. How are you feeling about it? Oh, I love it. I love it. Summer solstice is so fun. It's like I don't know the daylight, although I, I don't know. I do feel like summer's flying by that. It's already this day, but here well, it's technically the first day of summer. That's true. It's only the that's first true. day of summer. <laughs> that's true. But I guess you, you probably get a lot of daylight too, but the sun comes up so early here and it's now staying up so late. And I am looking forward to getting a, like a little darker in the mornings. I hated to even say that, but, um, no. but I will say I started implementing, People can write into our mailbag if you have other tips for me, but I just started implementing my sleeping mask, like, duh, Alyssa. And that has helped a lot because I do, I wake up like I'm like a, one of our dogs that just wakes up when the sun starts shining. I need maybe better curtains too, but maybe we'll do that after we move or something and actually get like proper curtains that can keep more sun out. But I mean, I love the sunlight. I love the fact that I feel like I can get up and like start my day. It keeps me more awake in the morning. I definitely have noticed that with the less daylight in the winter, my body like sleeps more and more, but in the summertime, I just need less sleep and I just am ready to rock and roll, which is kind of a good feeling, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So I actually swam at like the more local pool, the outdoor pool this morning. And, um, it was 41 degrees Fahrenheit out and it was like light out when I like, I could just like, I rode my bike, I bike commuted over to it. It's pretty close. And, um, it was light out, I didn't, I had lights on my bike, but I didn't even really need it. And it was just like, so nice to roll over there. I mean, the pool is a little warm, but then when it's 41 degrees Fahrenheit air, it actually felt okay. So that was actually quite pleasant. Um, a much nicer commute than I've been doing. And, um, it was, you know, it's swimming outdoors when it's like watching the sunrise is probably one of my like nicest life experiences, I think only to be followed by like coffee and a large breakfast. And so it was, you know, it's a really nice morning. And then the other evening I went for a run, like actually quite late at night. I think I like started a 90 minute run at like 8 Whoa. p.m. <laughs> so late. I know I'm like, <laughs> I, I exercise at all times of the day. Um, yeah. When they say like, oh, you should be consistent. I am the master of inconsistency, but it was really nice out and it was still light out. And I was just like, doing this evening run. I had the trails all to myself because I guess no one wants to mountain bike at that time, but it was just like heaven. So I'm really, really enjoying it. I definitely love, love lots of daylight. I'm, this is oh, oh best time of year. It's funny. You said it was 41 degrees Fahrenheit because it, we had on Mount Washington here in New Hampshire, like two inches of snow and like ice on Mount Washington, which has notoriously the worst weather, you know, quote in the world. But um, they do get really bad weather up there. And even in June, it's been like snowy and icy. Um, and so this weekend was pretty chilly too. And I had my coach and good friend Hillary Biscay here visiting this weekend. And 
she is currently, well, she's from California, living in California, and she did not know what to do with herself with those chilly mornings. And she would like bundle herself up. And then that made me feel like I needed to bundle myself up. And I was like, it's not that bad. Like, you know, it actually feels kind of refreshing. And then it always gets like, you know, gradually warmer through the day, which is nice. But um, still, yeah, the summertime chilly mornings, I actually appreciate. Yeah. And um, we had some wild weather. We've had a very, very rainy spring and I guess into summer um, in Montana. And so there was a lot of flooding near Yellowstone, which has been really, really terrible. And I've been okay. Like, um, I think one of the bridges out near my parents' house, they live like 15 miles out of town, broke. Um, it did not like rush down the river, but the river's so high. And luckily I've been okay because as any of our listeners know, I've had plenty of issues with water in uh, the last couple months. And I was, I don't know, it's definitely not something to make light of. It's a tragedy, but um, some of my favorite routes to ride, you know, the roads are gone. And so it's definitely, a, it's been a wild, wild, wild weather here too. And um, interesting, you know, it has been a little bit cooler and rainier than usual, but I'm doing what I can to stay dry outside of when I can get some, some pool time, but I'm glad you got some time with, uh, with coach Hillary that, uh, that does sound fun. And you know, what else is happening like this coming weekend? This is like our shout out to, uh, age grouper world, uh, Coeur d'Alene, our favorite, oh. our favorite, uh, our favorite race. Did, did you see the weather for Coeur d'Alene this weekend? I'm actually planning. I have a couple athletes racing. And I, so I am tentatively, hopefully planning to, uh, drive over there and watch the race. And I think it looks like the weather's going to be absolutely perfect, Alyssa. Like they have that like nice, cool morning. And then it, it's not definitely not hitting 103. Well, of course, because you know, we're not supposed to be doing an Ironman there this weekend. So of course it's going to be the perfect race while there, but there's a ton of race. I mean, there is Coeur d'Alene, which, you know, is near and dear to our hearts. Right. No pro yeah. race. Uh, there's Tremblant 70.3, which does have a pro race here on the East coast. Um, I know a smaller lace lit race that is pretty popular. Uh, the Tupper Lake Tin Man 70.3 is happening. Steelhead, uh, Steelhead 70.3. Yeah. Oh. Athletes. Uh, Busy time for coaching. That's for sure. Lots of pre-race chats going on these days, but it's exciting that, you know, they are racing and I'm, I'm glad to hear that the weather for, um, our athletes in Coeur d'Alene is going to be <laughs> nicer. We will have taken the brunt of that a year. I just can't oh, believe it's No, I really can't. I really can't. It feels like just yesterday, which is scary. I know. Um, but Haley, what else is going on? So with feisty media, Hopefully everyone has plugged into the women's performance podcast feed and is getting the title nine series podcasts through that feed. Uh, Haley, your interview was last week. My interview this week with Julie Moss comes out. I think that's no, wait, this week. I'm a week early. No, I'm a week early. (laughs) So you guys will get to hear me do this exact same thing next week. That is July two weeks from now. I think it's July 7th. (laughs) I think it's July 7th too. I I know. (laughs) clearly my brain is like half capacity these days you guys we did a lot of running Hillary and I so I'll just blame it on that um but anyway in the next couple weeks you will hear me interviewing Julie Moss um we could probably dig it up but it'll be someone great that make sure you're on the women's performance podcast feed make sure you're getting those interviews um and just Get it all set up for when mine then comes out on July 7th. Then you can hear me twice that week. It'll be great. (laughs) Send some feedback on mine. Actually, no, the feedback I've gotten, I think, was pretty good. I, uh, 
you know, I, I, um, it is, yeah, it was, it was fun to have my chat with Wendy Mink lead off the new, uh, the new series on the women's performance podcast. I, um, I'm looking this up. Hold on. <laughs> what okay. is the order? While you do that, I will actually, we didn't talk about if we were going to do a mailbag, but we have time to do a mailbag, I think. Right. Do you want me to bring out our mailbag? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So this one I'm blindsiding Haley. I have sent her this question a couple weeks ago, but she's not going to know which one I'm pulling out. So this is from Juliana and she is a, she said, this is not exactly a mailbag question, but it's also not, not a mailbag question, <laughs> which is funny. So she's curious if we have any plans on making partnerships with UK or international brands in the future. Um, she doesn't know the metrics and specifics of the podcast audience, but always find it so frustrating oh. not to be able to support us from abroad. And she's sure she's not the only one. So this is a great question. And I'm happy to report we do have, I think, at least one thing I can think of that's, I think, in talks in the works where I don't believe the brand is in the U.S., but it is trickier, I guess. I don't know. Haley and no, I might not be the, the ones to... The brand is in the U.S., but oh. they also... <laughs> Um, they also definitely are available in worldwide in other countries. So like, that is a thing, like, I guess, like, and will the, will our codes work worldwide? But I will say to Juliana that you listening is a great support. So I, we really, really, really appreciate you listening and I and writing into the mailbag. I think that both of those are like, there's, there's lots of ways to support the podcast, but I think listening is the number one way, um, you know, maybe, yelling at us if you see us on a race course would be another way if, if Alyssa happens <laughs> writing a to be review, in a screenshotting if you're listening, oh, yeah, writing putting it on your Instagram story those things are all yes free and but they do really help really help a lot yeah and so we and we also do appreciate the support of our sponsors that is definitely definitely great so um if if we do end up with a, a brand announcement and they are available in the UK or outside the US and you want to support them, then we definitely, definitely appreciate that. But if you just want to like shout out and be like, man, noon hydration would be really great. It sounds really great. Even though, you know, it's it, I, I can't quite use the feisty code in the UK. That's okay too. <laughs> like just say it sounds delicious. Watermelon. Mm, yum. I bet that's really, really good when you drink it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that is good feedback. That's something I'm not sure that, you know, as a whole, we're really considering even when we are searching for sponsors and looking for them. Um, so it's something we can definitely take into account as well. I haven't pulled our global numbers lately, but I, I should, I'm curious to see where we are. Yes. And okay. I can, I do not know what the, um, Where's oh I got it Bobby Gibb oh <laughs> that's who is that was who will be on uh, Thursday June twenty third if you're listening when and this did podcast Sarah True do that up. interview or am I making that part up too because I'm making uh, you're making that today. part up but okay. I think it is Sarah Gross Sarah Gross doing an interview with Bobby Gibb who uh is she first of like first she was the bandit who ran the Boston Marathon right Catherine Switzer actually entered and Bobby Gibb I think banded it and ran it. I think but you're right. I might have that wrong. But hopefully they'll confirm on to, Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen to that, that podcast interview, um, you know, on the women's performance podcast, I'm sure it'll be a great interview. And 
um, you can fact check me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And in the meantime, if you have other questions, you can send them into our mailbag at any time at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Okay. Um, Alyssa, is that all of our, our, our housekeeping? Are we ready for an interview already? I mean, you have to tell me because my brain is clearly not really, it's like skipping around and it's also in a state of Can we get a like, a, Alyssa workout of the week? Did you and Hillary do any special workout? Like, oh, this is, is that why this you're good. tired? So Hillary. So Hillary came to, it is why I'm tired. So Hillary came to the East coast. Um, it happened to coincide with where I live, which was really nice to get to see her and coordinate on some of this. But, um, she is part of a group, which we would also call a pack of people who call themselves the coyotes. And it's a been, it's a running group that's been around in the ultra running world for a really long time, like several decades. Um, I think early 2000s, maybe late 90s they started. And if you've ever read Born to Run, they actually talk about the Coyotes because there's always, they have an event every year called the Coyote Foreplay. And it used to attract like some really, really top ultra runners. Um, It would just be like this crazy weekend of like running a lot of miles and like kind of fun, crazy things on trails, right? So somehow, well, not somehow, Hillary basically invited herself into this group by accident because she was looking to run 50 miles in 2009 and their event happened to be listed on like ultra sign up or something so she and she was like is this a run like i need to run 50 miles i forget what she said she was looking to train for or something she's like i need to tr- run 50 miles can i come and they were like we don't know who you are but sure come you know and so it was like this 50 miler in california on the blue moon they often coincide with like the different moons and stuff. And so blue moon where you started at noon and then you ran to like until midnight stopping at the top of this mountain to see the moon at midnight. Right. And then everyone hikes down. So that's how she got involved, I guess. And after that, she found herself as a part of the pack and now, you know, gets the invites for their year, yearly gatherings and the other events that they have. But part of this weekend is, well, so often they take place in Vermont because the couple um who kind of is like the head organizers or race directors but it's not really a race so like the organizers they live in vermont so a lot of times the events happen in vermont so hence this year when it was going to be in vermont and only about an hour or so away from me so she was able to come get to see a crew of people she hasn't gotten to see in a long time and kind of do that and do some running. I'm putting in a lot of miles right now. So it kind of coincided with what I needed to be training for. And so we did, we ran all the miles. Um, I also took her up some mountain peaks here in New Hampshire and technical trail running is not Hillary's forte. So it was really outside the box. It was fun to get to do that with her and show her the sights and sounds of things that I'm on regularly. And we bowled. We did like some social activities, which aren't usually the part parts of things that I do. So we we did bowling with the coyotes. Um, it's just a, a fun, crazy weekend. And I got to meet a lot of like local ultra runners and trail runners to connect with as future training partners and running friends that I can run with. So it was, it was really nice for me. And the kicker of the whole weekend, Haley, if anyone has seen on my Instagram, Part of the process is that you have to wear a beanie. It's called a beanie the whole weekend for all of the activities. And it's basically a rainbow colored ball cap with a coyote on it that has like a spinner on top. No, oh, I did see that. And the propeller 
the propeller is just like goes in the wind. It's actually really fun. So you have to wear That's like a requirement for the weekend for the coyotes. You have to wear the beanie for the weekend. So I finally got a beanie. I earned it with my actions running and otherwise through the weekend. And so I get to keep it. So now I have a propeller beanie that I hopefully might attend another coyote gathering with. Who knows? Oh, fun. I wore a fun head out or I don't know, hat. <laughs> I I wore a well, I, this is I have no reason why I'm I didn't run that many miles, but um why I have no words. But I wore I, I bike commuted to a wedding this past weekend. My friends Luke and Grace got married and it was the best way I've ever arrived at a wedding ever. It was like, I just got put me in the best mood ever to like bike commute. And then I just like pulled up to the church, got a great parking spot right there, locked my bike up. I did take my helmet off to go into the church. And then, um, and then I rode home and I walked cowboy and then I rode to the reception and it was like, honestly, it was the best thing ever. And it was like nice weather. And like, um, I wore tennis shoes, which, um, I mean, maybe is like unusual for a wedding, but they were perfect for cycling. And, um, I don't know, not as exciting as a coyote race, but, um, <laughs> a coyote meetup, but probably more socializing than you and I normally do in our lives, which would make sense of why our like talking abilities yeah, today. But... Are, well, you, you do talk a lot, but even for you that in a wedding, I feel like it's probably a lot more talking than you normally would. Do. Yeah. It was. And honestly, like it was, but it was really cool because Grace has, you know, she's, she's an iron woman, iron woman. I can't say that word today, <laughs> but, um, and you know, it was just cool how proud a lot of her family was of her accomplishments. And then, but also I just think, um, he, I, I don't know. I, like I, I, uh, have been teaching like a swim lesson kind of recently and I would, I'll bike commute to that. And it does put me in a better mood, even though it's not like, it's not like I have like a job that's like, um, you know, puts me in a bad mood, but I just think that, um, I'm just very much enjoying the weather and bike commuting and wear my helmet everywhere. (laughs) So I can see we're wearing the coyote hat, you know, it brings some camaraderie or something. I have no idea what, where I'm going with all of this, but mostly just throwing it out there that I did something. (laughs) Well, luckily for our listeners, we were in a little bit better shape mentally when we did today's interview that we're airing. So um, I will go ahead and let everyone know that we are talking this week to Jasmine Paris. She was a special guest we were excited to have on because I recently got to meet her at the Barkley Marathons this past spring. Jasmine has like a whole huge resume outside of Barkley itself though. I mean, she is a vet. She's a, like a veterinarian. She's a mom. So we talked to her about balancing all of that. Um, she has several FKTs for some big UK FKTs like Bob Graham round, the Ramsey round. She is a national fell running champion. We talked to we discussed with her what fell running is, so I won't spoil that for you. She also, notoriously, I'm guessing most of our listeners, listeners will recognize her from winning outright the spine race in 2019, and she was doing it while still breastfeeding her young child, and so that was like the viral video or viral picture that kind of went alongside her win. Um, so many of you know she is an incredible athlete, an incredible human. 
and we get to talk to her about all of those things and Barkley and what she's doing now, what she has coming up and more. Wait, and so, also, I mean, this is historic. This, there cannot be that many podcasts out there that have two women from Barkley chatting with each other. I mean, I think true that raced in the same especially that raced in the same year i think sometime there have been a couple where they've gotten two of the women but together, one but interviewing not the other? when it's like the podcast well no no that's yeah i think right. we, you deserve right. a little trophy for but i guess laz that's not you deserve a cigarette <laughs> for this this putting this <laughs> podcast together Alyssa. A flannel shirts yeah <laughs> Um, but anyway, it was really fun to get to kind of relive some of that Barkley, you know, hoopla with Jasmine. So we will, um, end our antics here and you can hear from Jasmine next. Hi, Jasmine. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. So we're really excited to have you here. And honestly, I felt like I could already be asking you to schedule a part two because there's a lot we could talk about, but you know, before we jump into too much um, of the questions, I wanted to go through the basic vocabulary for our listeners because we will be referring to fell running throughout the conversation since you are one of the best human beings at this. And we do have a mostly American audience. So can you translate that for our listeners? What are we meaning when we're saying fell running? So fell running, I guess, is it's a bit it's a bit like kind of trail running, but um kind of um, I probably got got a longer history here in the UK and um we have kind of the ideal hills because we don't have many kind of forested hills and um, and essentially what it is is sort of running over the hills often not on paths um and often the races involve some navigation so it's it's not not usually marked and yeah really kind of traditional traditional sort of sport that I think used to sort of be part of the country shows um back in the day and then now now it's sort of a sport in itself and jasmine i'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with you in your current status as an ultra runner and especially thanks to Alyssa, many of us do actually follow this sort of uh non-traditional ultra endurance adventure type fell running but can you tell us a little bit more about your past because we read that you didn't actually even get into running until after you were done with university yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I I guess I sort of came because fell running sort of a it's sort of about hills and mountains more than anything. I sort of came into it rather than coming sort of from athletics and and that sort of thing from early on. I came into it as a hill walker. So I did a lot of hiking with my parents from a really early age and I think that kind of was good for sort of just building just building the kind of um, mountain endurance and also that sort of um, understanding of how to place your feet in the mountains and move across rough terrain um, if I sort of look back um, so yeah I, I, that was my background and when I started fell running I started running um, at the point when I just left university I was working as a vet um, in a small animal practice near home and um, one of my colleagues suggested I go along to a lo local fell race um, and it was just I don't know four miles or something and um, I went along and I loved it and I spent a lot of time falling over because going I was wearing road trainers and um, I had no grip going down the hills but I, I loved it it was so much fun and I sort of thought oh this is the community that I want to be part of so then I yeah joined a local club and started running and we just got into the hills in the evenings and it was just this kind of revelation that I could do this um, alongside my normal job, you know, get out into the kind of hills on a daily basis. Um, and it was a way of get, taking me to those wild places. Um, yeah, alongside a, a normal work job. And 
So so that's how it started. And um, I guess I quite quickly realised that I like doing longer things and sort of the rougher the terrain, the better. So that's kind of a feature of, of, of fell racing is that, um, you know, quite a few of the races um, will be quite technical and rough and um, challenging that in that sense. So, yeah, the longer the race and the rougher it was, the better I seemed to do as well. So I think that sort of naturally moved to running more kind of ultra distance stuff. And you definitely make it sound so simple, but, <laughs> you know, for our listeners in the decade kind of after... 2008 when you would probably say that you you really started running um you know you had a number of massive accolades in this decade right you were sixth at your first 100 mile at utmb which is an iconic race you were the british fell running champion the scottish hill running champion like all of these things so what was your evolution of training like you know did you have kind of training principles in mind was it a casual approach and you were just doing what you love to do did you have a coach from you know early on in that time it it was definitely more the kind of casual loving what I was doing sort of approach I didn't have a coach until 2019 when I was training for 2000 at the end of 2018 when I was training for the spine that's when I first had a coach so prior to that I had no structured training whatsoever most of the time I just go out and run because I I loved it I just go out and run in the hills I guess um, my first kind of sessions that you might think of as being anything like sessions we we lived beside a reservoir and my husband and I would run around it in opposite directions so that was I guess like our tempo run and and the point at which we crossed over with each other was generally a marker of how well each of us was doing um so that was probably the nearest you got to sort of a tempo run um sometimes we do some hill reps together but yeah most of my running was just kind of very very casual and and, and sort of fun and as I say it wasn't till to be honest it was after I had had my daughter and I was and when I was training for the spine and I sort of needed I guess to maximize the free time that I had and, and make it really count um because I had much less of that, of that free time then so that's when I and kind of got a coach on board and um, it actually really helped me as well because I, I I was so tired at that point I just needed someone to tell me what to do um, and it sort of gave me the motivation to get out of bed and do it at 5am when it was dark and I'd not slept very much because of having a baby so um, yeah so that that's why I got a coach but prior to that I never I never did any structured training really. Are Do you consider yourself a competitive person like when did you to get into racing and you know you because you finished very high at some very prestigious races was that just having fun or or do you consider yourself competitive uh yeah I am competitive when I when I um when I'm racing I am competitive but it's yeah I think I'm sort of more I'm, I'm mainly competitive I think with myself like I don't it's not like I mind losing so much I would like I just want to do my best if you see what I mean um so yeah no but I I get a buzz out of of racing as well so yeah a bit of both like I'm like I I I think at the point when I it was just about being competitive about sort of the competition then and and I wasn't having any fun anymore I'd stop doing it because ultimately it's it is for me it's just a hobby um alongside a kind of busy busy job and um, and everything else so it needs to stay fun for me so that's my that needs to be the number one thing um and hopefully I'm, I will always keep it that way so that that is number one but I, yeah I'm competitive as well and you talked about how your background was with hiking and backpacking and you think that that helped you I think you said like move learn to move through the mountains efficiently and like how to do that so 
I talk a little bit about that because I think that's interesting. I think when someone comes new to, you know, trail running, as we'll call it in, in, um, the States, you know, it's frustrating because they don't move very efficiently on trails, right? They're constantly tripping over themselves, things like that. Um, are there things that you now think about that you're clearly quite good at, you know, of like, do you try and keep, you know, people are always looking for tips. Like if they're taking on trails, what are the things they should be thinking about that, you know, should they be hiking and backpacking more? Do you think that's the key to helping, <laughs> you know, figure out how to get yes. your feet, like feeling solid on the trails? I mean, certainly like, as I said, my back, that is my kind of background, I guess, to sort of pad that out a little bit. I, um, in my kind of early, early sort of, I guess, when I was a kid and then in my early teens, I did, we did a lot of hiking with my parents and then it gradually, I moved to hiking with my brother. So I've got a brother who's just a year younger, um, who actually lives in the States now in New York. But, um, we did a lot of hiking kind of through our late teens and twenties where we would just go to the mountains of Europe, take a, um, everything we needed for 10 days and aim to sort of not meet anybody. We wild camped and hiked through the kind of wildest places um and I and I just think that that kind of built up it wasn't it, it was also it was the terrain but it was also this kind of resilience to when things kind of get tough in the mountains and um and also that just sort of understanding of I guess uh, the feel of maybe like sort of the feel of being in the mountains and navigating and, and weather and and that sort of thing all those all those kind of features but in general in terms of tips um I guess yeah the more time you can spend the better I certainly think that hiking is also an excellent kind of training for long races because it's kind of builds up endurance and stamina without sort of breaking you and you can do much more of it without breaking yourself compared with like if you were trying to run that number of hours um but then there's things like, for example, if you're running downhill, you need to be looking quite far ahead of yourself. You can't look at your feet um, where, you, you know, you have to be looking quite far ahead of yourself and already that that that's kind of your brain brain's got to be processing already a, a few meters ahead of where, you know, of where you are at that point how your feet are going to land and also if you're going fast enough then it doesn't matter if a rock moves because you're already moving on from that if you see what I mean so it's kind of like um and sometimes you know this, I guess you could say a descent is sometimes a bit like a sort of controlled fall um going down the hill so I think lots of people will struggle with that if they're not kind of used to the mountains because that that feeling of being able to let go um so you kind of have to let go a little bit I think going downhill for example yeah, so that would be probably the biggest tip. And then learning to navigate um, for people, certainly if you're doing anything like fell running. But I think actually if, if you're doing any race in, in the mountains, you should be able to navigate yourself because it's just a kind of feature of safety. So those would be things that I would try and focus on. Um, first, primarily focus on trying to make sure that you're safe in the mountains and then go from there. And Jasmine, you've mentioned the spine race a couple times, and that is a very famous race in the UK. I think it's around 268 miles, and it's done in January, so uh, probably not not a nice sunny day. So your win there, it was a big deal, and it was because you were the first woman, you were first overall, and you did it while breastfeeding your daughter. So are you? were you surprised by all the attention that that got? Um, yeah, I, I, I was quite surprised because I mean, it, it sort of, it, it went from sort of just general running circles into sort of more mainstream media. And that was something like that I'd never experienced before. And I wasn't prepared for it at all. I guess when I was racing, I think I was told a, a couple of times sort of in the second half, you know, oh, there's lots of people following you online and there's, 
you know people are getting really excited about it I was told that on the last day but um and then then when I finished there was like a I think it was a radio interview or something and I sort of expected that was that was going to be you know the height of the peak of, of the peak of the media attention but it sort of snowballed and then it ended up interviews from like tv places all over the world so it was it was like really bizarre and I guess um yeah I sort of <laughs> went with it I yeah I think in some ways I was a little bit sort of overwhelmed by it but at the same time I um I, I kind of saw that it was um you know raising the profile of women in sport and of breastfeeding and I saw lots of positive things and actually since then I've been you know I've received so many messages from people both women and men and kids saying that they were inspired and I like I see I feel like it's a massive honor and kind of privilege to be in that situation in that position where you can kind of inspire people or you might have done so I feel that I was yeah very lucky to be able to have done that at least once um so yeah I'm proud of it and I'm proud of the kind of um the the limelight that's the sort of the, the attention that it's given things subjects like breastfeeding and and women in sports so hopefully it's had some positive effects but yeah in in the kind of short answer to your question yeah I was I was surprised and it was it was pretty overwhelming at the time I imagine coming off that race when all you want to do is like rest and recover it was almost you know a race in itself to balance all of that as well to be be honest yeah to be honest I like you know I raced for three and a half days and then the media stuff like it was weeks and even like two years later there were still people asking for interviews about the spine sort of thing so um certainly 12 months later so um yeah like I don't know if I was more tired by the race or the actual stuff that came afterwards to be honest and it's funny because I finished the race I don't know seven in the evening um, and we got home at like 11 and then I was doing an interview on the TV at the next morning at eight. So it wasn't even like there was a long night's sleep that night, you know, <laughs> it was just, I think I got up at 6am. So yeah, yeah, it was, um, it was, it was crazy, but it was fun. Um, but yeah, it was quite intense. I know, I know a lot has happened in the world since then, but are more women running the spine race now? That's a good question. I can't actually say that I know what the numbers have been since then, because there was um, the yeah there was the race the year obviously that I was pregnant with my son, and then there's been I think one race since then. So I guess there's been a couple of editions since then. I'm not sure what the whether what the split's been. Um, yeah, sorry, I I'm not sure, but yeah. Oh no, I mean I was just curious if you knew, but I know that the pandemic has probably thrown a wrench into uh, all the stats. <laughs> but yeah. um I was just but I mean it's still cool to hear from women even if they're just jogging their local, you know, 1k that I'm sure that you, you know, seeing you do that had an impact on Yeah, them. no, and that's that's yeah, that's certainly that's the way I feel is that it's not about it's not about necessarily racing and it's certainly not about trying to win races or, or, or anything. It's just about taking part and at whatever level. It's fantastic if people get out and, and take part and, you know, do some sport. And Jasmine, we, you know, have kept it at bay long enough, but we do want to talk to you about the Barkley as well. Um, and I've talked a little bit about it on the podcast and I talked about how, you know, at first I didn't really get the Barkley intrigue. People would ask me if I wanted to run it. And I was kind of like, like, honestly, in the first few times, I was like, definitely not like not interested in it all, not interested. And then all of a sudden a switch flipped and I decided to just start devoting years to getting in. So what about you? Had you always wanted to run? No, no, not at all, actually. Um, And certainly when I finished the spine, I still wasn't at all convinced. By then I'd sort of heard about it. 
but after the spine, I think at some point, I don't know if Lars must have been inter- interview- interviewed at some point and said that he'd like me to run because certainly several people told me in interviews after that, Lars would like to see you run Barkley. Um, and at that point, I guess I first sort of paid a little bit more attention to what this race was and, and, and so on. And um, it's funny because at the, t- at the start, I sort of felt probably not, you know, it's, it's a lapped race and um, there's a lot of kind of hype around it. And I'm not really sure. It all seems a bit gimmicky and why, and also it sounds like suffering, you know, why would you want to kind of run around in the briars for, for three days or, um, or what? But it's a bit like with the spine race because I wasn't initially when I heard about the spine race, I was really not convinced either. I thought, why would you want to put yourself through that? Um, but it sort of grew on me. And I think there was just a point sometime the year before, I guess last year, yeah, last year sometime um, when I suddenly was suddenly realised that I really wanted to do it. Um, and I think I think I needed that time because you I really think that Barclays is a race you, you have to really want to do and you have to be really sure about. So I guess probably somewhere inside I knew after the spine race that this was probably going to be something that I that ended up growing on me and kind of ended up becoming an obsession. But it needed the time for that to happen. Um, and then, yeah, one day I didn't I don't even know what it was. It was just kind of a sudden like a, or a gradual probably realisation that I wanted to do it. And then one day I was sure. Yeah. <laughs> so it was very much a gradual process. And you were the first woman in a decade to complete three loops, which is called a fun run. What do you think about your performance? Yeah, I mean, I think it was all right. Um, I think, um, yeah, I think, I mean, there's lots of things that I could have done better. But at the same time, yeah, and in terms of like sort of mistakes that I made, mainly like sort of nav mistakes, um, looking back, um, but I at the same time I was kind of really proud of the way that I dealt with that because it's you know the, the I guess the whole sort of Barclay thing is is meant to mess with your head and it does you know like the kind of challenge of it is it's kind of it's genuinely a unique race on so many levels um and so like in that situation when you're faced with all those challenges um and then things go wrong I think that's you know it's pretty hard to kind of pull yourself out of it and correct things and go back and um and 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 uh, and keep going yeah keep keep pushing on so whilst I yeah I made some mistakes I'm also kind of really proud of how I dealt with them so um yeah I was really pleased with the end result I was really pleased but it did leave me feeling like I could do better um yeah which I definitely think is is still possible do you think that's part of the mind game of the race where you come out of it and I imagine you have received so many congratulations on how you did and so many like, you know, overwhelming kind of kudos and, and great things, but, and it sounds like you accept those and, you know, realize that you did this, this great thing, but it also sounds like you're, you know, you completed three of the five loops, right? Do yeah. You, yeah. So you know, I did, that's I mean, something that, yeah. Like I struggled with a lot kind of coming, people congratulated me when I was like, going right and I'm like well first of all I haven't done anything yet you know and then I made it through a loop in a quarter and everyone's so excited and you want to be excited for them but you also are like internally a little you know mad at yourself as a competitor for not you know having done better yeah yeah no absolutely like I I mean I think as I said before you've got to really want Barkley but I think if you want to finish you've also got to go there wanting to like really wanting to finish you know like really like up for it so, I, I mean, I don't think I made any bones. When I went there, I was going there to try and finish the thing. So, um, 
So I came away with a fun, which was great, but it wasn't five loops, was it? It was only three. So, um, and um, yeah, so there's definitely stuff to work on. Um, uh, yeah, as you say, I was I was pleased with what I did and I'm really sort of grateful for all the congratulations and things, but I definitely feel like it's unfinished business. Um, so hopefully, hopefully it's um, something to carry on working on with the experience that I have. And when you arrived, we actually kind of shared like a large group tent site and we spoke briefly at that point. And I remember you saying that the trip had been quite a whirlwind and you were thinking about your children and that you really just wanted to get back, you know, get it going, get back to them. And then watching you in the race, like it was clear um, that you were focused, you were, you know, ready for the task at hand. I'm sure, you know, you were, you were thinking about the race, you know, during the race. So how do you kind of handle whether it's in Barkley or another race, like balancing that and kind of flipping from mom mode to, you know, competitor mode? Yeah. It, or is I mean, it both? Is it always both? It's, it's no, it's a really good question. And like, I think, so certainly with both Barkley and the, and the spine, because those are the kind of two big races, long races that I've done since I had the kids. Um, I, I've, I've, I've struggled most at the start, to be honest, that initial period when, you know, when you're sort of still getting into the race mode, that's the bit where you kind of, there's this kind of crossover period. But once I'm like really engulfed in the race, and um, as I've mentioned before, that competitive streak kicks in, then I actually find that easier then because I've only, I've only got one thing to do and that's all I'm doing. Um, obviously it helps knowing that your kids are like really totally you know, I met the children with my parents and when we were away, so I, I knew they were totally fine. And I'd obviously been in touch with them since we flew over and stuff to the States. Um, and also, you know, because we went to, the, I think I'm, I mentioned to a few people, we went to the States, we just flew for, for a week um, and left the kids. And I knew that, you know, I, I wasn't going to be able to fly home any sooner if I dropped out of Barclay after like half a loop or anything, which is, which is in a way was a really good thing because it, it sort of made it like, Oh, you might as well, you know, be out on the course as long as you can, even if, you know, that little voice had come into your head, you know, like if you stop now, you can see the kids sooner. It wasn't going to happen anyway. So in some ways, that was a good reason not to have them there, Um, because if they, you know, that would have been an extra sort of temptation um, waiting for me. But yeah, I actually once I'm in in the race, I actually find it not that difficult to kind of keep um, focused on on the race, because as I say, the kind of competitive thing kicks in. Um, it, it's when you're kind of having your kind of deep, deepest kind of dark moments that that maybe you you start sort of missing the family. Um, but to be honest, it, it's, it, I keep drawing comparisons between the spine and Barclay, but those are kind of two massive sort of challenges that I've done since having children. And Barclay actually had less time to do that because I felt like I was constantly occupied at Barclay. So when I was running the spine, there were like sections where I knew I was definitely on the path. I wasn't really having to do any navigation. It was just to keep a cases keep one putting one foot in front of each other in in the dark you know in the wind and rain but it's kind of more of a monotonous activity whereas Barclay I felt like I had to be I was constantly trying to focus on where I was going um so that it sort of there wasn't much time to think about other stuff if you see what I mean it wasn't like I could switch off or when I did switch off things went wrong so <laughs> I quickly learned that I I needed to not <laughs> I'm stealing all the questions from Haley because I, I have a few I've been wanting to ask. And um, your husband, Conrad, was one of my favorite people there, you know, hanging out at camp while you were still out on the course. It seems like he has really nailed that role as a crew, right? So what do you think makes him 
it seems like the perfect crew for, for you. And I know that a lot of people don't have their partners doing that for them. I guess, you know, com- so Comrade's also a runner. Uh, we've run lots of things together. We actually run, you know, like some some couples really argue when they compete together, but we actually get on really, really well. So we've like had holidays running the Transalps together and stuff. And it's just been, we just had an amazing time. So I think like, you know, much we, we know each other inside out, obviously, because we're, you know, we've lived together how many years, had kids and, and everything else. But um, we also have done a lot of running together. And I think just having somebody that has not only done lots of running with you, but also knows how the kind of ultra running works and how, how you feel when you've done those sorts of distances and, and everything else. And he's also, you know, he's very switched on and kind of to the point. Um, yeah, so, and he knows knows when to give me a hug and when to kind of push me back out on trail. There's a bit of chat beforehand, actually, whether my mum came over or whether my brother supported me because he lives in the States and he wouldn't have had to, mm. nobody else would have had to fly. But ultimately, we came to the conclusion that Comrade was going to be the best at sort of, like, not 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 letting me give up if I was struggling a bit, you know, he was going to, because I think my mum would be all like, it's all right, just stop. I don't like seeing you suffering type thing. Um, so like comrade was kind of got good the right mix of being able to give me a hug but also like kicking me back out on the trail I don't think you'd have let me stop if I had time to carry on yeah and Jasmine in the final minutes of the fun run for you um, those of us at camp were sitting around uh, the campfire and I mean looking for any signs of life coming out of the woods and you know I noticed the headlamp that was up on the ridge coming from where we were expecting you to be coming from and it was coming down a bit too far. You know, we're watching it descend the ridge, not in the direction that we were hoping it would descend. And then, you know, we're all there kind of looking at our watches, trying to keep our hearts in our chest, right? And we watch the headlamp kind of retrace its steps, go back to the course, and then come down um, the road as as the route is planned. And so it was really nerve-wracking for us. I, I don't want to make it all about us. But, <laughs> um, you know, what was going through your mind at that time you had obviously been without sleep for quite a while at that point were you like what kind of headspace were you in during that okay so it's like that moment you know like when I when I sort of Kate was coming off that last hill and I had like I don't know an hour to go or something and I thought oh well I've wasted loads of time in this last loop but this would be like totally comfortable to get down for a fun run all I have to do is follow the ridge down like you know and then you go wrong and like yeah, you know, it's just that terrible sinking feeling because I was following this stream and I kept expecting to kind of get to the camp place. And then it just wasn't, it was going on and on and on. And then I came to this like lake with a waterfall and I was like, this isn't it. This is definitely not it. And then I looked at my watch and it was like half an hour to go or something. And I was just, I just knew I was like way, way out from where I needed to be. And it's just this, you know, initially just is that, 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 I mean, we've all been lost in the mountains and there's this like so totally sickening feeling when your stomach kind of drops through the, through, drops to the floor when you realize what's happened. And, and I think because I've been so like invested in this for like the last 39 and a half hours and it, it was so close. And then I just, for a moment, I was just like gave up all hope. And then this massive rush of adrenaline kicked in and I was like, I'm not going to stop without trying. And, um, and I just, I ran faster, I think, in that last half hour than I'd run for the whole thing, even right at the start, you know, I was totally, and I was just, I got stuck in all these rhododendron bushes, these kind of, I think they call them mountain laurels. And so I was literally crawling along the ground with the, um, with the kind of bushes grabbing onto me. And I was just, and I was like shouting at the trees. I was, um, I was so intensely trying to get back. 
um so yeah it was um yeah that last it was just it was so intense that last bit and it actually still it makes me kind of shudder a little bit inside remembering that last half hour um so yeah that's that's one of the reasons I need to go back and kind of um to do it right Jasmine the Barclay course is unique and you've mentioned the the train that you train on what do you think about your training? Is there anything you would do different to prepare for for a course like Barkley living where you do? I guess kind of I think the biggest challenge here is sort of um um probably just like the forests to kind of recreate that sort of terrain because we don't really have I certainly like there are forests around but there's not the kind of the undergrowth and the kind of yeah I, I, there's not there's not the same sort of forests <laughs> that much or not not kind of large areas of them um of, of unbroken forest and um, what I did do a lot of training in, for was the kind of ascent and descent and there's that's really not to be underestimated there's a lot of ascent and descent on that on that course given that they're not sort of they're not particularly high mountains it's not like you you know you're not going to altitude but there's a lot of up and down and it is steep um I think yeah I think the thing that's um you know I've done kind of lots of bushwhacking in my past and in all those hikes we did with my brother and things and that probably kind of stood me in good stead that sort of resolute kind of stubborn determination to just push on but it is kind of it's not it, there are places where it kind of kind of wears you down a bit when you're constantly being being grabbed by bits of undergrowth and um having to climb over things and getting tripped up and things and all the time you're trying to concentrate on your compass bearing um yeah I mean it's you know I lost I broke a pole on the first two legs I, I broke a pole each time I think and I broke my compass and um yeah so it's 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 kind of um challenging challenging terrain I think if I was doing it again I would I would continue to train for the ascent um I would try and do more time in some forest probably as well if I could so I'd just maybe have to drive a little bit for that um, and I'll probably try and do, I was going to do some orienteering just to kind of really sharpen up my navigation, um, which is, which is a kind of, it's a difficult thing because um, it's not just about, you know, like being able to navigate helps. But I think with Barclay, there's, there's, a, there's an element that's, you know, it, it'll just really help to have been there before, to be honest, um, you know, um, so that, you know, it's good to be good at nav, but there's so there's a lot of, of reasons I think for anybody that's actually been there will will understand there's a lot of reasons why it's just helpful to have been there before in terms of finding the route and Jasmine you've raced so many iconic races now UTMB Dragon's Back Spine Race Sky Races all over the world other trail events in the UK can you give us one race that every American should maybe have on their bu bucket list in well, well we'll say like the Europe area Ah. <laughs> uh. That's quite hard because I guess <laughs> I could tell you my favorite races. Then again, I'm not sure that I want all of the Americans to come to this like <laughs> tiny little, you know, the the fell races that are, like really low key was like, um, yeah. So I'm not sure that I would. Um, so that probably I'll, I'll just say because I think I've said it in enough interviews. So my favorite kind of fell races here in the UK are the Jura fell race, which kind of runs over the three like mountains on Jura, um, which is the island where Comrade and I actually got married. It's kind of a really special place on the west coast of Scotland. Um, and then the Wasdale Fell Race, which is a real kind of classic Lakeland and um, Lake District long fell race. And these are both kind of real gnarly, um, old style, traditional fell races. But in terms of kind of races around the world, um, 
well, there was a, you know, kind of, I always, um, I think kind of potentially one of my um, very favorite races would be Kima, which um, I don't know, Trophy Kima, which is a sky race. Um, obviously people might, so if you like sky racing, then that's, that's certainly like one that I would really recommend. Um, I actually sort of think that potentially the my favorite ever sort of my perfect race I guess the race that for me would have been um a race called um they um so I've totally forgot oh, oh um L, um the 2900s in Andorra I'm trying to remember what they what it was called um it might have just been L2900 L's 2900 that's the, the word um which was a kind of race over the 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 seven peaks of Andorra um and that was just like an absolutely fantastic low-key race but it's not been I don't think it's run anymore it was just a kind of um so that I wouldn't uh, yeah wouldn't be able to recommend that now but that was yeah pretty special race at the time so that was a bit of a long answer to your question sorry (laughs) no sky racing is like where you are on a mountain ridge or a mountain peak is that what makes it a sky race I think it's kind of like I, I think of it so yeah, generally like you'd be pretty high in there's often a bit of exposure and quite technical. So um I think of sky racing a bit like it's a bit like there's often a bit of scrambling. It's a bit sort of like um like an adventure playground for adults. I sort of think of it as a bit like that. If you know you sort of mix that in with a bit of running, it's yeah, a bit of scrambling, a bit of running, a bit of exposure. It's it's definitely more kind of I think you definitely have to be more confident in the mountains in general than than like a standard trail run if you see what I mean like yeah I wouldn't do I wouldn't recommend doing a sky race as your your first kind of trail race if you see what I mean although they are variably technical some will be will be a lot more technical than others chemo is you need to you need to be comfortable kind of scrambling if you want to run chemo and you recently co-founded a group called Green Runners, and I think there are four pillars. Can you tell us about this group and the pillars? Yeah, so um, the Green Runners, yeah, so it's a kind of, um, it's a community kind of project. Um, and it's just to sort of, um, I guess, get runners together thinking about um, the ways that we can sort of um, be, be kinder to our planet and 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 sort of make the right decisions um, um, with a kind of climate conscious um attitude so the the four pillars are based on how you how you move and that would you know particularly as runners thinking about how you travel to races how you kit up so um you know what kit you're buying whether you actually need new kit um the fact that you probably don't need to replace your trainers as often as people think they do um um, and all those kind of sorts of whether you can repair recycle reuse um that sort of thing in terms of kit um how you fuel so that you know we know that um, generally, you know, uh, meat and, and dairy are worse for the planet than uh, more plant-based diet. So even if, you know, you're not making a, um, a complete switch, absolutely, um, then just maybe making some changes that will, in, in, you know, even that would make a make a big difference. Um, and then the, the fourth pillar is how you speak out. So just, you know, me chatting about it today, maybe will just make one person think about it a little bit more. And that in itself will make a massive you know, it, it, once you've kind of got that the message spreading, then that's a really good thing. But that kind of last pillar is probably the most important in terms of spreading the message, because really it's, it's about kind of this group collective voice um, that needs to be heard, because obviously individual action is not going to be enough. Um, it's it's really about kind of 
changing um, things on a big scale and that needs um, yeah the big big names and big powers to, to make changes but we can certainly play our part and on an individual level so from my point of view um, just just kind of briefly to say um, so for example I'm traveling to the I'm going to run the ETMB this September this August um, so I'm going to travel there by train um, and um, in terms of um, yeah, things like diet, you know, I've I kind of switched from dairy to um, dairy milk to drinking oat milk, which actually come to really like. Um, and we've and we've switched away from certain meats. And yeah, so that's kind of, you know, little little changes that we've made. We've got electric car. Um, so, you know, it's, it's whatever you can do. And for each person, it's going to be a different thing that they can kind of manage um, more than more than um, you know, that will be variable according to what your lifestyle is and, and so on. The, the sacrifices that you make will be will be different for each person. But it, it, it be, if, if everybody can make a start, that's the most important thing. And I think um, from there, um, the rest of the changes will follow. Yeah. And is this a virtual group? Is it an in-person group? Can anyone join? Is it international? Yeah, no, it's absolutely international. Yeah. So there's like a website. Um, I think it's the Green Runners. Yeah, I think if you Google that, you'll find it. But certainly I've, I've tweeted about it and, and so on. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it's just, it's free. You know, it's I think it's like it's £2.50 or something to join. I don't know. It's like it's a really minimal fee and it's just to kind of keep the, the website and you get a badge and that sort of thing. But the main thing is about making um, a pledge. So it's not just about making the pledge. It's about like actually doing it so it doesn't have to be like a huge thing but you need to make the most important thing it doesn't matter if you become a green runner the, the most important thing is actually doing something so it's great to have this kind of green runners as a kind of community thing to get people to know what it is but the most important thing is to do it and the, the idea of the pledge is that you sort of spread the message so yeah just check out the website um and um yeah and then and then kind of make a pledge and, and get involved and we got we we have these little badges that you could so we don't want to like do t-shirts because it's getting again more more kit that people don't need but you can just sew the the badge up to whatever kit you've got um and then you'll recognize other people at races that are also green runners and um that'll give you a bit of a talking point i'm actually um so i don't run for any company um now or any any kind of brand but i am going to run the utmb for the green runners so um, that's an extra motivation to try and run well because then it will give them a bit of publicity and maybe get people talking about it as well. We will definitely link to it in the show notes. But before we let you go, Jasmine, I have to ask because I think you're currently living in Edinburgh, Scotland, and I'm headed to Scotland in August for a five-day adventure race. And along the way, I'm hoping to sample some Scottish treats for some diversity in my fueling plan through those five days. So do you have any recommendations? Are there any like standard Scottish treats you think could be good if I like need to pick me up in day three of this thing <laughs> oh just uh, I, I've, I'm struggling to think of like obviously you think of like haggis um I probably I actually really like vegetarian haggis um which is is really good I'm not sure if I'd want it in the middle of a race though um <laughs> straw, Scottish strawberries are really good um really really good um and we have pretty good raspberries as well yeah so scottish strawberries and raspberries and they actually make this if you are eating dairy there's i'm, I'm sure there's non-dairy alternatives as well but cranachan um which is is fantastic it's kind of a scottish um that's a scottish dessert yeah this is probably what i'd say uh, which has strawberries it has raspberries um it has like cream oats a bit of whiskey um and i'm not a big fan of whiskey but actually in this dessert it works very well so and honey, honey, because that's another Scottish thing. So yeah, 
it's, it's all that yeah that's a traditional dessert so if you get to eat some kunakan but again I'm not sure if you'd eat it in the middle of a race but maybe <laughs> maybe yeah maybe in the it's evening my, it's my afterwards. first expedition race so I have a feeling all bets might be on or off I guess come you know <laughs> third or fourth day without sleep we're gonna see how it goes but um jasmine thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us about everything i think the things you've done are so inspiring and yet you you do it in a very relatable way and just appreciate seeing where you're going and with the green runners i think you have a lot that you're bringing to the sport and we're glad we could have you on today you're welcome thank you yeah it's been a real pleasure thank you Okay, Alyssa, it sounded like both you and Jasmine have caught the Barkley bug and both hope to get another crack at that race. Do you think if you and you and Jasmine were on the start line together, are you going to like try to team up with her? <laughs> I mean, I would love to team up with Jasmine, but I need to hopefully I'm so tired from all this training. It will eventually sink in and I'll get faster so that I could in a year, maybe team up with Jasmine and keep up with her. She's quite strong. Um, last year, I was think her Jasmine... was. Oh, was she one of the people who sprinted off the line? Remember you talked about how some people sprinted off the line. Was that no, Jasmine? No, she was definitely one of the ones who played it cool, eased into the day. And like, I was with her a bit on the first climb. And then all of a sudden she just like turned the burner on. I'm like, Oh, now she's quite a bit ahead. Um, I think she kept up with Courtney DeWalter and John Kelly for quite a bit of that first loop, um, or at least like maybe half of it. So she definitely is, is pretty strong, but it's something to work towards because she knows her stuff. She would be fun, I think, to hang with for a few loops. So, you know, you have to mesh with personalities too. So I got to do some work and we'll see what can happen. I felt like there was a lot of personality meshing going on during that interview. So um, <laughs> I approve. <laughs> no one asked me for my opinion, but um, I approve. But Alyssa, I hope you can run a few more miles, get a lot more hours of sleep and me as well. And then hopefully uh, we'll be back next week with uh, slightly more coherent stories. <laughs> Sounds good. Bye, Haley. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Amelia Perry and produced by Ella Natitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.